Yeah, plus he's a beer brother. That's a cool thing. All right. Hey, open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and uh, we are looking at verses 15 through 18 today, but we'll start reading in 14. So let's start reading in the Gospel of John. <laughs> I, think th- I think they're like, play ball! I think they pictured our whole room opening with the national anthem. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> All right, here we are, focusing now on God's Word, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And we'll start in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, folks, every once in a while, someone will ask me uh, if if I'm tatted somewhere. Uh, if I'm inked. And uh, they're always surprised when I say, no, I don't have any tattoos. I'm tat-free. And I'm, I'm glad to be tat-free. In fact, we know when I was growing up, the only people who had tattoos were like old guys from the Navy. And it was always like a schooner or something like that, or an anchor or mother or something like that. And so when I grew up, it was like, ooh, only old people have tattoos. And, and I think that's going to happen again. I think once people, these, all these tattooed people start showing up at nursing homes... And they start seeing the saggy Hawaiian dancer and stuff on their, and the t- tramp stamps and all that on grandma. I think they're going to go, ugh. I think there's going to be another switch. That's just my personal opinion. But um, I, I, was, <laughs> I was on the internet, this thing called the internet, looking through some stuff. And I stumbled on this thing that said, uh, the top 100 unique tattoos for men. And I thought, how unique can they be <laughs> if they're in the top 100? Um, how unique can they be? And, and they've been compiled into a list, too. How unique are they? Um, well, and, and listen, here's, here's Ecclesiastes 1.9. What, what has been will be again, and what has been done before will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Uh, here's the New Living Translation on that. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Uh, so what's unique, ladies and gentlemen? What is truly unique? I'll tell you what is unique. Um, I'll tell you what's never happened before. Um, and the Bible presents it really as kind of the, the coat hook upon which the entire cosmos hangs. You know what it is? It's the one and only Jesus Christ. That's the one thing that's unique. Uh, that's the one thing that hasn't happened before. That's the one thing that, hasn't, that will not happen again. In verse 14, that's what we studied last week. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, glory as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That, ladies and gentlemen, is unique to human history. Um, so what is the big idea today? Um, 
well, the Gospel of John takes what he said last week about the Word becoming flesh, and he starts to give us more information of it, on it. He gives us a description of what that means, that Jesus has come into this world. And so I've summarized it this way for you. Uh, if somebody says, hey, what did that guy talk about at that church you went to today? Um, I wish you would say this, that Jesus is the single and exceptional Savior. There is no other Savior. There is no other means. There is no other way unto God. And Jesus is unique in all of human history. And those aren't just nice and harmless little compliments either, by the way. It's not just, oh, yeah, Jesus, he's single and exceptional. Mm, it's, it's a wonderful thought. Not at all. Those are barbed. Those are acute. Uh, those demand some kind of a response. I mean, those are claims the Bible makes about the Savior. Um, and it, it's demanding immediately of a position by you and your heart. Um, you understand the thrust by all that, that the Bible is teaching in this gospel that Jesus is precisely God. And if we don't have a Savior who's precisely God, we don't have the righteousness, the, the, the holiness that God requires. So Jesus, the Savior, has to be uh, entirely God. But the Savior also has to be fully man uh, in, in that he absolutely positively has to relate uh, to human beings. Um, also, friends, Jesus' death on the cross was personal, uh, deeply personal. He died for persons with names and their personal shames. So to be clear, if the, if the meaning of the passage is the message of the sermon, which I firmly believe should be, the meaning of the passage is the message of the sermon. If so, uh, Jesus Christ is the single and exceptional Savior. All right, we've got four points today. The first one is this, the one and only you'll see that all four of these points are taken right smack from the text. Um, Verse 14, the one and only. Let's look at it. We're picking up from what we looked at last week. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, Again, that's a statement about Jesus. Uh, We're we're told what what that means. Now, this, this one and only, uh, think about it again. Uh, in verse 15, it says John, that's John the Baptist, okay? John the Apostle, John A, is writing this. John B, John the Baptist, is the one he's talking about. So in verse 15, it says John the Baptist bore witness about this word with the capital W, whoever this person is, this son person, S-O-N. And he cried out, this is the one I was talking about. He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Now, I would say um, that describes a pretty unique person, doesn't it? Um, Let's look at John the Baptist uh, and what he means by all this. Flip, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke. Just go left about an eighth of an inch, quarter inch or so. Go to Luke chapter 3. And um, let's look at this John the Baptist and how special John the Baptist was. It says uh, in Luke, uh, oh, go to Luke, go to chapter 1, go to chapter 1, Luke Luke 1. Verse 26, we'll go to three in a second. Um, yeah, look at just verse 26. We'll just kind of pop on through here. In the sixth month, uh, excuse me, sixth month of uh, Elizabeth's pregnancy, um, Gabriel, this angel, uh, is sent uh, from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth. And um, uh, he talks to Mary. And, um, oh, where is it? Oh, yeah, 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 skip on. So this angel comes, talks to Mary. And then in verse 39, Mary visit, visits Elizabeth. Um, so Mary goes, and you know uh, Elizabeth is six months pregnant. It says in verse thirty-six, "This is her sixth month, 
and uh, nothing is impossible with God. And so Mary goes and visits Elizabeth, and it says in verse uh, uh, 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby in her, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, isn't that interesting? That this baby, um, Elizabeth hears Mary's voice, and the baby leaps for joy um, in her womb, and it says, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, listen, John the Baptist was already defined by God in the Scriptures as John the Baptist, by the way. Not a hunk of tissue that might develop one day into something, but there's personhood. And by the way, there was personhood in Jesus Christ, too, from the very beginning, from, from conception, from before conception, God's plan was that there was going to be this personal Savior. This is a very strong argument, ladies and gentlemen, uh, upon which we cannot waver. Um, but all to say, Elizabeth is also filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and by the way, John the Baptist is, is, is under the influence of the Holy Spirit, even in the womb, friends, even in the womb. All right, so um, flip ahead to chapter 3 of, of, um, of um, Luke. And let's go to verse uh, 3. Um, so John the Baptist grows up, and uh, he's got a ministry cooking. And um, he's, a, he's an odd cat, man. He's living out in the wilderness, and he eats locusts, and he dresses funny, and, and there are, but there are people following him. He's got a full-blown, full-fledged ministry cooking. Uh, it says in verse three of, uh, chapter 3 of Luke that John the Baptist went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then Luke, the gospel writer, quotes Isaiah, um, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked shall become straight, the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. All right, so John the Baptist is sent to prepare the way, to make the way straight, to make the way clear, and he's preaching a baptism of repentance. You need a savior, is the message. So in verse 7, it says that he said, therefore, to the crowds. Uh, In verse 10, the crowds asked him. And then in verse 15, as the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. All right, I would say that that's a pretty, pretty robust ministry, wouldn't you? He's got crowds following him. He's preaching this grand message that that is from of old. He is making straight the way. He's preparing the way for the Lord. Crowds follow him, and he's such an impressive ministry figure that they go, wow, baptism of repentance, uh, we, need, we need salvation. Is this guy the promised Christ? Is this guy the Messiah? People were thinking of him. Well, that's a pretty big picture of John the Baptist. He's not just some strange, uh, some strange distant figure. He shows up in all four Gospels. And so it's no small thing, back to our passage here, it says John bore witness about Jesus and cried out, it ain't me, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Uh, John the Baptist, this big figure, he is pointing ahead to Jesus. Now, what does it mean that he ranks before me? Um, Notice the deliberate um, and by the way, it's in keeping with the gospel writer John's theological point. He's writing a theological history with a real emphasis on the divinity of Jesus, all right? 
And it shows up here too. John the Baptist is saying, hey, this is the one I was talking about. He who comes after me, you know, John the Baptist is older than Jesus by six months. He he who comes after me um, is actually before me. Why? Because he was before me. Well, you know what that means. That's a very clear, uh, hard-to-miss statement about the divinity of Jesus Christ. When he says, the one after me, yeah, sure, he he was born after me, it's true. But he was before me, you know why? Because he was before me. He's saying, this is a divine Messiah. That's what he's saying. Couldn't be more clear. Um, He is God from eternity. And so, John B. and John A. are signifying Jesus' eternal uh, pre-existence, namely that he is equal to God, that he is divine, and that he is thus God incarnate. Well, why does this make a difference to you? Um, let's apply it this way. Let's look at two important words. Important num- word number one uh, is in verse 14, as uh, we see it expressed in this sermon point. Uh, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, the only Son, the one and only. Um, now, that word... Um, has the word mono in it. If you looked up a Greek word, it's got the word mono in it. And you, you see the, the uniqueness, the, the, the onlyness, the only son, the only begotten, the one and only. You'll see it show up in different Bible translations that way. Some say only son, only begotten, one and only. Um, yeah, this is kind of a cool one. It says, uh, the word became flesh and lived among us. We gazed on his glory, the kind of glory that belongs to his father's unique son, full of grace and truth. That really is the idea. Unique son, uh, full of grace and truth. Um, he, he's not, not only the only one, but he's the only one who could be. He was the only one who could have been the Savior. So unique was the Savior. Um, everything about salvation is dependent upon the fact that Jesus is God, whose holiness you need to satisfy God's just court. And Jesus is man, an intimate connection with humanity, whereby he can be our representative by living a perfect human life, the one we couldn't live. Fully God, fully man, essentials for understanding this gospel and being secure with uh, our access to this God. Jesus is the one and only way to God, right? So that's important word number one. Important number, word number two is this. I'm in verse 15. It says, uh, he who comes after me ranks before me. And uh, if you look up uh, other Bible translations, you'll find a whole bunch of different words uh, for that ranks before me. Uh, You'll find um, uh, surpassed me. He is far greater than me. He has precedence uh, over me. He is preferred in honor to me. But the idea is, no, no, no. Don't look at me, John the Baptist. I'm just the guy preparing the way. Oh, important key redemptive figure. It is true. But I'm just preparing the way for the real one. Um, and actually, the ESV puts it well, that he ranks before me. And otherwise, in other words, Jesus is the boss. Jesus is the one you've been waiting for. He's the Messiah. Uh, John the Baptist, I know I look impressive, um, but, but it ain't me. It's this Jesus. And that's the cry of everything in this world, friends. Um, it's, it's not this thing, it's Jesus. It's not that one, it's Jesus. It's not that charismatic leader, it's Jesus. It's not that thing in life that's going to give you satisfaction, it's Jesus. That's the gospel, that's the gospel message. And I would, I would apply it to you this way. I'd say, um, hungry heart out there, hungry heart, um, 
Fix, fix yourself on Jesus, not, not on this other thing. Um, how about thirsty spirit? It's Jesus you're looking for. It's, it's no other thing. It's, it's, it's no other substitute. It's, it's the one who ranks above all things. Um, weary seeker. Are you weary? You're seeking answers to ultimate questions? And I say to you, look unto Jesus and look no further because he's the one who outranks everything. He's the divine Savior who was sent. Um, pick Jesus. He's, he's the one and only unique word for the passage. He's the one and only unique son from the passage. And he's the one and only unique Savior, the only one. All right, our second point. Also right from the passage, um, eternal waves of grace. Um, we'll talk about that more toward the end, but uh, it's this idea, grace upon grace. Um, um, in verse 16, uh, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And you see that uh, straight away, John is yet hammering away on the divinity of Jesus in verse 16. Um, from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. Yeah, nobody says that about me. Oh, from Jim's fullness, we've got such and such. Fullness? How, you can't even apply that to a human being. It only could be applied to divinity. Uh, from Jesus' fullness, we receive grace upon grace. So again, the gospel writer is careful to say, hey, 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 divine. You get it? Divine. Jesus is God. You don't believe that. You don't have the gospel. Um, from his fullness. And, um, you know, uh, does anybody like Perrier in here? Who likes Perrier? Man, I, I've been a Perrier guy for years and years and years. I love it. We're, we're seltzer people. I mean, Tammy and I are, we're guzzing the seltzer. Uh, we probably, don't we drink about a half a gallon of seltzer a day? It's about that. We, have, we, we go through two, two one-liter bottles of seltzer every day, and sometimes it's Perrier in those little cans and everything, and um, we just love the stuff. But, you know, if you look at a Perrier bottle, it'll say, Source Perrier. You know, so they get it from the ground over there. It comes from a source, source Perrier. That's where it flows from, and that's, that's the idea. Uh, per John's uh, point, we receive divine help directly from the, the divine. Uh, Jesus is the source. Uh, he himself, the fullness. Uh, he the one through whom all things were made that have been made. Uh, from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. All right, let's make one little pit stop here, another little word to look at. Verse 16, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Now, what does that mean, that we've all received? Does that mean every person in the whole world has received from Jesus' fullness grace upon grace? Does that mean that? It does? Well, some people agree with you. I don't, but some people do. Um, in the sense that God... Huh? Indeed, indeed. And that would be common grace. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. That's a right answer. Um, and that's what some people would say that that means is that we've all received grace upon grace. It's true. God pours out common grace. He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. It is true. But here is a gospel context. And here is speaking about special grace, where God has poured out special grace, special revelation. Um, are there people in this world who reject Israel's God? Sure are. Are there people in this world who hate Jesus Christ? Sure are. are is everybody who ever lived going to spend an eternity in glory with God? No. Um, and so, ladies and gentlemen, this is one of those situations where all doesn't mean all. And that shows up sometimes in Scripture where they say, all of Judea came. 
Well, does that mean all of Judea came? I mean, bedridden granny and uh, the guy in a coma, did they come? It's a way of saying lots of people. Anyway, just a little side note. This is one of those situations where all doesn't mean A-L-L. Um, so back to our original broadcast already uh, in progress here. Uh, grace upon grace, what does that mean? Well, a few b- brief viewpoints. Um, it is um, Christ giving grace out of his own resources. And uh, we talked about that reality just a second ago. Um, also, uh, some people will say, well, you know, I think that means grace upon grace means um, um, we're saved by grace, and then more grace is given. And that's how they'll interpret that. And I'll tell you, both of those are true. Both of those are true. Um, Jesus gives grace out of his own fullness, um, and um, um, we're saved by grace, and then more grace is given. Both of those are absolutely true. But I think what this is saying here, this idea of grace upon grace, I think it's this. Um, God's love and care for his sons and daughters in Christ is never-ending. And... um, as you can see by my point, eternal waves of grace, that's how I'm kind of thinking about it. That's how I'm illustrating it. Uh, think of the waves in Destin when you're sitting there at four in the afternoon and uh, you're feeling kind of groggy and awesome and you just... I mean, they just keep coming and they keep coming and they keep coming. And I think that's the idea, friends. That it's grace upon grace upon grace, uh, washing upon your life, uh, providing and providing and providing. Yes, grace unto salvation, but not just left here um, like a rag doll to fend for yourself. Grace pouring upon you, grace upon grace upon grace. Um, That's how we'll apply that. All right, third point. The means of salvation. Uh, Look at verse 17. Uh, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, I know Moses is a key redemptive figure, but what is Moses popping up here for? And, and why is the law thrown into this whole mix? Well, you know, John the Baptist was also a pivotal uh, key redemptive figure, wasn't he? Moses, John the Baptist, key redemptive figures. But what do they have in common? You know what they have in common? they have in common is they are preparing the way for the Savior. That's what they have in common, preparing the way. And Moses, with the law, what is the law doing? It is preparing the way. It's preparing the way for the Savior. Um, You know, this is a good way to trick uh, rooms full of people. Uh, You'll say, hey, can you be saved by observing the law? Can you? Oh, yeah, most people, oh, definitely not. Mm. Can you? Yeah. Uh, But guess what? It's impossible. You know who did observe the law perfectly? Jesus. Can you, could could you conceivably be saved? Yeah, if you weren't born in sin, yes. Uh, Yeah, obeying the law would have kept Adam and Eve just fine, but they didn't. Um, And now there's a need for a Savior who would keep the law perfectly. Um, So, like Moses... John the Baptist, and the law was uh, preparatory. The law could work if somebody obeyed it perfectly, but nobody could, and so it was a preparation for Christ. And uh, what does the law show you? The law shows you where you sin. You're driving down through Rossville, and uh, you don't know it's 35 until a 35 
sign pops up or the rollers start, uh, you know, blinking behind you. Uh, then you go, oh, the law. Oh, I see what the law does. It, it has a function. It shows me where the limits are, and if I go over the limits, I've broken the law. That's the function of the law. Well, that's the function of the law. And by the way, um, that, that's the function of the Mosaic law. But what about, what about ceremonial law, the, 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 the worship laws, the, the, um, the, um, the, the, the fellowship laws with God? What, what does that tell you about? It, t- it tells you that there's grace all over the Old Testament. This God is a God of law and grace, law that shows us our need for a Savior, but grace that gives, that gives some kind of promise of, of fellowship with God, some kind of temporary way by which people could come to Christ, this vivid picture of bloodshed, 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 and the covering of sin, bloodshed and the covering of sin, this vivid picture of promise. Now, application for your life. When we talk about grace, we're talking about a couple of different things. Number one, we're talking about um, the means by which we're saved, right? We're we're talking about um, um, God saving us not because of anything we have done, but because he decided to. Not because of anything we have done, not not because of anything we have done that that causes God to sit up and take note, but no. Um, He gives us grace where it's not deserved. He gives us rescue when we had no part in it except to to come guilty uh, and receive it as a gift, okay? So the first idea of grace is that grace is a gift given by God. Unmerited favor is how it is often put, okay? But the other thing about grace is this. It shows us something about who God is. It shows us something about God's nature, um, and, and, and uh, it's his attitude toward us personally that he wants us to be rescued holistically in life, all right? Um, here's a good quote for you from a really good commentator and, and preacher. I thought this was pretty helpful. He says, there is grace in Christ for the Christian's every need. Is that encouraging? There's grace in Christ for the Christian's every need. He offers forgiving grace before God's law, cleansing grace in the presence of sin, empowering grace in our pursuit of holiness, preserving grace for those tempted to fall, and crowning grace for those who depart this life for the next. Crowning grace. All these graces come only through Jesus Christ, and with them comes the blessing of freedom. We are freed from guilt because he bore our punishment on the cross. We are freed from a hopeless attempt to perform because God has given us grace. That is a personal word, isn't it, Uh, of the way God saves. It's his attitude toward us, and it's the means by which we are brought into fellowship uh, with him. Um, Let's go to our last point, which is this. Um, God revealing God. Look at verse 18. Um, No one has ever seen God. Why? Because he's spirit. That's why. No one one has ever seen God. He's not nine feet tall. He doesn't have a white beard, okay? He doesn't look like uh, Gandalf. Um, he's spirit. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father, but, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So if you want to know what the Father's like, just look at Jesus. He is a perfect, exact imprint and representation of the Father. Um, and by the way, I should point out something that I, I said last week. I want you to know when I was talking about seeking God's face, I want you to know that I know about Psalm 27, 18. You have said, seek my face. 
My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Uh, Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who recall my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked lays, I'll, I'll, I'll heal their land. Uh, but my beef with contemporary Christian songs that, that use this seek the face thing over and over again, I don't think they really even know what they're saying half the time. Um, it's kind of puppy lovish. It's kind of like, I want to seek God's face. I just want to be snuggled with him, you know? Um, but, but it's so rich, ladies and gentlemen, that Jesus is the revealer of God. He is the word with the capital W. Why is he a capital W? Because he's the ultimate, final, perfect prophet. We don't need more prophets. We don't need more, uh, we don't need more scripture. The canon is closed. Why? Because the Christ has come. He's the final prophet. Um, that, that's, the, that's the point of seeing God and seeking his face um, full of glory and profundity. All right, we'll close with, uh, look at it, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Friends, you want to know God? Because that's what Jesus says in chapter 17 of this book, that this is eternal life, to know God. That is eternal life. It's not to be in a club. It's not to get our Christian numbers up so we can rally the world and rule things. Ridiculous. What God wants is to save the sinner. What God wants is an eagerly worshiping people brought out of captivity into fellowship with him. And the way we know this father is by the one way that he sent. The one and only. It is the Savior who perfectly shows us what God is like and is the way unto this God who is full of grace. Righteous Father, we thank you that um, your word is uh, truth. And we pray that you would sanctify us by the truth. We pray, Lord, that um, these things would not be commonplace to us, that they would not be um, stuff we've heard before and, 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 um, and, and some preacher guy talked about them again. Uh, rather, Lord, might you um, rumble in our souls and uh, cause us to be men and women who are um, deep in worship over the, the, the majesty and mystery of God become flesh. We pray these things in his name, Jesus, the only one. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate you.